The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. to the Stein Online Clubland Q&A. This is Melissa Howes. Mark is expected back next week. Uh, this is unusual circumstance uh, in that I think this is the very first time an American uh, has, uh, has been behind the uh, microphone here uh, at Clubland Q&A, and perhaps that is the reason for all of my technical difficulties. But I uh, thank you for your patience uh, as we've been trying to sort this out. Um, hopefully everyone can hear me now. Uh, let's see. Let's do a little time zone recitation. Uh, it is currently 5 a.m. in Cloncurry, which is my very favorite outback town. It's 5 p.m. in St. Pierre and Miquelon, 8 p.m. in London, 9 p.m. in Trieste, where we departed for our Mark Stein cruise uh, just a few months ago, and 3 p.m. in my neck of the woods in the USA. Uh, actually, it's getting, uh, it's about an hour later than my time zone recitation uh, that I'd written down, but uh, we'll get there. <clears throat> so we've had quite a few questions uh, regarding our, um, our. Uh, okay, so someone's asking me to try to turn my mic up. I actually have it up, I think, as high as it can go. Uh, let's see here if this helps. Um, I'm not sure here. Let me know if that's helping, and I'll try to raise my voice as well. I, I do know I talk a little bit softer, actually a lot softer than, uh, than Mark does, obviously. So let's see. The first question here is from Chris Davies. Uh, Chris is a member of the Mark Stein Club, has been very supportive of our case, uh, in particular with Ofcom, and sending some very supportive notes about that. Melissa. Great to have you in the hot seat, and I hope this finds you and the redoubtable niche Canadian well. As Mark's audience is growing all the time, it may be helpful to summarize the ABCs of the Michael Mann and Ofcom cases for the benefit of the newbies. No question is such from me this week beyond when you expect the Ofcom cases to be heard. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for those. <clears throat> Well, that's, a, that's actually a great way to, to kick this off. Uh, I know that we have a lot of new listeners that came to us from GB and may or may not be familiar with the Michael Mann case uh, that, uh, that we've been embroiled in now for 11 years in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, some of you may be familiar with Michael Mann or maybe uh, not necessarily his name, but with um, his uh, hockey stick. Uh, which is the slang term used to describe this graph 
that he created that purported to show uh, a uh, rise in uh, global temperatures. Uh, and it was called a hockey stick because it basically resembles a hockey stick. And it was used uh, many, many years ago in an IPCC report. Um, and uh, subsequent to that, there were a lot of questions about it, uh, some uh, emails that were released in East Anglia that seemed to indicate uh, some hiding of uh, the decline and uh, various, um, as I said, various questions about that. So uh, fast forward to 2012. Michael Mann is a uh, climate science professor at, uh, or was, at uh, Penn State University. Um, and non-Americans may not necessarily be familiar with Penn State, but it's a big uh, football school. And, and during that time, uh, it came into quite a bit of disrepute due to um, some goings-on in the football program uh, with a Jerry Sandusky who was, um, uh, well, basically uh, using his position to, um, to abuse uh, young boys, and uh, sometimes in actually the locker room at Penn State University. So there was, a, there was a lot of talk about that at the time. Again, we're talking now 11 years ago. And there was a report that had been commissioned um, by a former FBI director, uh, Louis Free. And that report came out in July of 2012. And it basically uh, questioned the institution, Penn State University, uh, and the way that they handled the investigation of this guy that they allowed to um, access the locker rooms and, um, you know, shutting down things that were happening. <clears throat> And, and coincidentally, it's the same administration that investigated Michael Mann after these East Anglia emails came out. So the free report came out July 2012. There were then two uh, articles that came out on the heels of that uh, the next day. One was by a gentleman with the Chronicle of Higher Education, uh, Peter Wood. And then the other one was by Rand Simberg. Uh, writing for a think tank in Washington, D.C. <clears throat> and basically, they both draw, drew a correlation about those investigations, uh, the fact that they were, um, you know, covering up uh, uh, for wrongdoing. So coming along two days later, uh, Mark was then writing for National Review, and on their what was called The Corner, which is an online uh, blog, uh, Mark wrote the following, I'm, and I'm just going to read it because it's very short, and it's sort of um, shocking how long this case has gone on when you're talking about a, a blog post that is, that is this uh, short. Um, the title of it is Football and Hockey. In the wake of Louis Free's report on Penn State's complicity in serial rape, Rand Simberg writes of unhappy Valley's other scandal. 
Now, just to be clear, now Mark, because this is in audio form, so you're not seeing the italics. Mark is now quoting from Rand Simberg's piece. Here's Rand. I'm referring to another cover-up and whitewash that occurred there two years ago before we learned how rotten and corrupt the culture at the university was. But now that we know how bad it was, perhaps it's time that we revisit the Michael Mann affair, particularly given how much we've also learned about his and others' hockey stick deceptions. Uh, sense. Man could be said to be the Jerry Sandusky of climate science, except that instead of molesting children, he has molested and tortured data in the service of politicized science that could have dire economic consequences for the nation and planet. Okay, now back to Mark commenting on, on, this, on this bit from Rand. Mark says, not sure I'd have extended that metaphor all the way into the locker room showers with quite the zeal Mr. Simberg does, but he has a point. Michael Mann was the man behind the fraudulent climate change, quote-unquote, hockey stick graph, the very ringmaster of the tree ring circus. And when the East Anglia emails came out, Penn State felt obliged to, quote-unquote, investigate Professor Mann. Graham Spanier, the Penn State president, forced to resign over Sandusky, was the same cove who investigated Mann. And, as with Sandusky and Paterno, the college declined to find one of its star names guilty of any wrongdoing. If an institution is prepared to cover up systemic statutory rape of minors... What won't it cover up? Whether or not he's the quote-unquote Jerry Sandusky of climate change, he remains the Michael Mann of climate change. In part, because his investigation by a deeply corrupt administration was a joke. So, uh... Michael Mann served uh, suit on Mark, National Review, Rand Simberg, and CEI, uh, which uh, published the uh, the Rand Simberg piece. And in the last eleven years, there's been a lot of uh, maneuvering, uh, mainly by our co-defendants. Um, there was something called a uh, slap. Uh, that was enacted in D.C. a very short time before this case was filed. And I gather that that it was thought that this might be a good test case for that. And uh, (laughs) I'm not sure what the test proved, except that it did take an awful long time for it to work its way through the system. So uh, the idea is that in a slap suit, that is um, a strategic lawsuit against uh, public participation. Um, the The suits are filed in order to prevent people from talking about something that should be talked about, that they that they have a right under the First Amendment to talk about. And so you're supposed to be able to use this slap legislation. As, as a sort of quick end run around the normal procedures of a legal case where you have to take 
discovery and, you know, all these lengthy uh, pre-hearings and procedures before you actually go to trial. Um, and that didn't happen in this case. Uh, we did first apply for dismissal under SLAP. And uh, when that was denied, uh, our uh, fellow co-defendants decided then to appeal <clears throat> that denial of the SLAP. Uh, and uh, that's called an interlocutory appeal. And that that process itself took several years. Uh, we declined to participate in that, and by we I mean Mark and our uh, legal team, uh, because we just thought that would take too long, and we just wanted to get on with the trial, get on with the case, put on with, with our uh, evidence. And um, we did apply to the court, asking them to separate us from the co-defendant so that we could just go to trial and get it over with. The court denied that. So we, we just sort of sat back and watched. Uh, during that time, uh, we did uh, wind up hiring a researcher and spending a lot of time putting our case together. Uh, and a lot of that you'll find in Mark's book, Disgrace to the Profession, uh, in which he compiled comments from, you know, a hundred scientists on uh, Michael Mann and his hockey stick. Uh, but other than that, we basically uh, just uh, sat back and waited to see what would happen. Finally, finally, uh, it, it, did, it did go up all the way to the Supreme Court in terms of this, this procedural question. Mind you, this hasn't, you know, gone to trial yet. Uh, finally, finally, we got back on the track of getting ready for trial. And then COVID. And so that really slowed things down uh, in terms of getting into the courtroom. Uh, it was closed for quite some time. And then, of course, they prioritized all of these, you know, um, I guess, more important cases in their mind. And so here we are now. So that was 2012 that the case was filed. And we're now in 2023. And uh, we are currently scheduled to go to trial on October 30th. Uh, and it's anticipated it will be a three-week trial. Um, and this is on the question of whether, um, you know, Mark uh, defamed Michael Mann. And uh, there's a lot of interesting aspects to this, and I'll and I'll I think I'll just sort of drop into those as we go through the questions, because I think there's quite a few questions here that 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 get to the heart of that. So, so that's sort of the overall um, explanation. Ofcom, I'm going to handle just a little bit later, just so that we um, keep things straight, or I keep things straight in my head. <clears throat> Um, okay, so let's go to the next question. Eric Dale. Eric Dale says, Hey, Melissa, welcome to the helm of the Q&A. I look forward to an American, USA, USA, uh, finally taking the helm from those loyalists up north. When Mann filed his lawsuit, I was a young man with an optimistic view of the future. Now I'm a middle-aged man with a weight problem and insulin resistance. As Mark finally goes to trial, finally with a question mark, 
I was wondering what your thoughts were on the former co-defendant National Review's strategy on the case. At the beginning, Rich Lowry made a big deal on how this was how <clears throat> on how this was how National Review was going to lead the charge for free speech and use civil discovery to prove man's fraudulent research only to add years onto the litigation with failed anti-slap challenges while weaseling out of the lawsuit by saying Mark was an independent contractor rather than an employee of National Review at the time. How much did National Review contribute to Mark's legal expenses by needlessly prolonging the litigation and buying man more time? Well, this is actually uh, <laughs> might be a bit inside baseball for others, uh, but it's a, it's a really good question. It's an interesting question. So uh, you'll note there that Eric says former co-defendant Nash Review. So somewhere along the way, so after discovery, uh, there were um, uh, motions uh, put in for uh, summary judgment, and uh, both Nash Review. Uh, and CEI as the publishers were successful in being removed from the case. Um, and, and actually, that, that's a good thing that that happened because they actually were in sort of in the way uh, in the case. Uh, and um, I, think, I think it makes things a lot cleaner without them. Um, Without them there, uh, uh, so so actually that that I mean it's 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 a terrible thing. I I I agree with Mark uh, with uh, Eric. I apologize. Um, I agree with Eric's point. You know that early on in the case, they did use it as a big fundraising tool for National Review. Um, National Review has uh, an insurance policy. Uh, that does cover some legal expenses. Um, and then, so they were raising money to cover the deductible, which they did very easily. I, if I recall correctly, the deductible, I think, was $100,000. And then anything that they raised over $100,000, uh, I believe, went uh, just into the general fund. Uh, I don't recall seeing any of that. And uh, and then at some point, we actually separated from uh, using the same uh, legal team as Nash Review because we, dis we felt that we were, when I say we, I mean uh, Mark and our uh, collective legal brain trust, we're not on the, uh, we're not on the same page as they say with, with Nash Review. And so... Uh, and, and, you know, not to, again, get too inside baseball, there were, but there was, you know, this, this um, um, incident that arose with a uh, former editor there, Jason Stortz, uh, that was very close to the time of Mark's uh, contract renewal. And despite their very best efforts to get Mark to renew his contract, Mark just decided, no, that's it. Uh, these are these are not really um, people I want to be in a foxhole with, and so uh, he stopped right. You know, after he completed his uh, contractual obligations, 
you know, he decided to go it on its own. And as I said, we then raised uh, quite a bit of money, which we used to hire a researcher and and get all of this background and uh, work ready, um, much of which is in uh, the book that we published, A Disgrace to the Profession. Um, and, uh, but the, but so to, uh, Eric's point, it is, it is true then, uh, because it's the same pocket of money, insurance money, that it, that at one point over the last couple of years during all of this back and forth, where National Review was then, you know, trying to get out of the case that they were, that they were using up, uh, valuable resources that could have been used uh, for the upcoming trial, and and those resources are now uh, depleted. Um, so uh, that's a fine how-do-you-do, isn't it? <clears throat> Chris Hall writes, Hi, Melissa, speaking of inside baseball. I hope this question isn't too inside baseball for you, but I was wondering whether the Mann versus Simberg case affects Mark at all. If I recall correctly, one of the two got into trouble with the Nobel laureate, for accurately quoting the other, but I can't remember who quoted whom. It's all reminiscent of when Mark was charged in Canada for accurately quoting a Norwegian imam. <laughs> uh, indeed. Well, uh, just just to explain, we are still in the case with Rand Simberg. So CEI, National Review, those guys are out. Um, even though mysteriously National Review's name is still on the case, can't figure out why that continues to happen. I'm sure they're going to use that to raise more money that we'll never see. Uh, but we are still in the case with Ransomberg. Um, what he said was perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with what he said. And there's nothing wrong with Mark uh, quoting what Ransomberg said um, and, uh, you know, making his own opinion about it. Um, uh, but yes, so we, we actually are, uh, uh, so it's going to be Mann versus Stein and Simberg, or Simberg and Stein, whatever your preference, uh, when we go to trial. It's, it's going to be in the same, it's going to happen at the same time. Um, uh, if I recall correctly, one of the two got into trouble with a Nobel laureate. So that's, this, is a, this is a reference to Michael Mann's uh, pretend Nobel Prize. Um, he he purported in his uh, first uh, filing with the court that he was a Nobel laureate um, on the basis of the IPCC um, receiving recognition uh, of a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, it's it's it was quite a quite a stretch, um, and um, and there's some funny audio out there actually. Uh, hopefully they still have it up. That uh, of um, <clears throat> uh, what is that gentleman? Charles Cook uh, at National Review calling the Nobel Committee and asking them if Michael Mann was actually a Nobel Prize winner, which of course he wasn't. And uh, and and besides the point, he was claiming to have to have won the Nobel Peace Prize, which has nothing to do with science in any event. Um, uh, so that's, that's, that's just an aside there. So uh, if I recall correctly, one of the two of you got in trouble with the Nobel laureate. 
Uh, that's true, and and reminiscent of when Mark was charged in Canada for accurately quoting a Norwegian imam, and that's and that's certainly the case. Uh, Mark is is being held for for quoting uh, what Rand said, and then uh, for uh, opining on that. <clears throat> Garth Van Sickle writes, Melissa, I am looking forward to your Clubland Q and A today. It is time for you to get out from behind the curtain and shine. Good luck telling Mr. Man where he can shove his hockey stick. Um, thank you so much, Garth. I really enjoyed. Uh, I, I, one of the great things about the Mark Stein cruise is you finally get to meet uh, uh, some of these uh, club members in person, put some names to some faces, and just have a really great time. And I had a lovely... I'd, I had um, Garth and his uh, wife as my dining companions one evening on the cruise, and it was just great. So thank you so much, Garth. I appreciate that. Um, let me just take a quick sip here. Xavier in Ohio writes, Hello, Melissa. I've been looking forward to the trial for over a decade, as I'm sure you and Mark both have also. How has the legal strategy or list of witnesses changed from what it will be in September, October 2023 versus what it would have been in late 2012, early 2013 if the American legal system had its act together? Please do share some fun stories from the CAC cases also. Thanks and good luck in the upcoming weeks. Uh, this is actually a really good question, Xavier, because the that is uh, part of the um, uh, part of the really um, concerning uh, um, my my big concern with all of these delays with this trial has been uh, we've actually had witnesses die, um, you know, since since this case was filed, and and also the nature of this topic means that it's that the ones that have um that are not afraid to speak out uh or to speak against uh what those in their community you know are sort of pushing on them are the tenured professors or those who are retired and so indeed there there are as i said we have had witnesses that um have 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 died uh, in the intervening time, and and ones that are just at at this point, uh, you know, too too old or, you know, medically uh, feeble to to uh, testify, and uh, that's a really um, that's that's a really uh, that's a really sad uh, situation. I I don't know. I don't know how this can go on. Um, how how it actually could have gone gone on for over a decade over over a little little tiny piece. I mean, part of this, it perhaps is because the there the first judge on this case uh, was a um, lady by the name of Natalia Combs Green, and. Um, she was actually a landlord and tenant judge. So some people get confused and they think because we're in D.C., we're in, you know, the big uh, district court that every, all the big cases are in. No, we're actually in the 
D.C., District of Columbia court, um, where all the, uh, you know, small-time loser cases are. That's where we are. And so, and, and unfortunately, in some respects, uh, the judges reflect the nature of the cases that are being heard there. And she was no exception. She, the, the very first hearing of the case, and one of the very first things that she said when we, uh, you know, myself, Mark, the legal team, were all there, <clears throat> is, oh, look at, look at all this paper. It just, just makes my head hurt. It just makes my head hurt. Um, she was so upset about the, you know, the big piles of briefing materials that she would have to read, which, of course, must have been completely overwhelming for someone who's used to handling, uh, you know, landlord and tenant cases. And so she was wholly unqualified um, to try a case of this nature. Um, and if you go on you know, if you sort of Google around and you go on robing room and things like that, you'll find that other people have sort of the same comments about her. You know, she's not too uh, quick on the uptake. Um, you know, she easily confuses issues. And um, and that was certainly in our case where she just she couldn't keep all the parties straight. So she was attributing stuff to Mark that was actually something Rand said and stuff to Rand that's some, something that Mark said. And unfortunately, I think when you have the judge, the first judge of the case, that first impression has so bollocked up the case, it's almost um, impossible to unwind um, going forward because um, you're just you're just, you know, fighting against all these bad early decisions. And unfortunately, in some cases, you know, lawyers uh, are, you know, are afraid to push back or afraid to correct uh, the record. And that and that's, uh, you know, an unfortunate thing, too. So um, so we had this this uh, judge. It finally got taken away from her. She was she was actually rebuked by the judicial. I don't know. I can't think of the name of the actual committee, but she was being put up for senior judge or whatever. Then they rebuked her style and her demeanor and that sort of thing. But they took the case away from her. They gave it to another judge. But then she continued to take and rule on the case while it had already been assigned to another case, another judge. So the case was really bollocked up, uh, and um, uh, it's it's. I think it's been pretty difficult to. Even as we've had, I think, better judges subsequent to that, um, it has still been difficult to unwind from that, those very first early and bad decisions. I mean, it really should have been thrown out at that very early stage um, with with Natalia. Uh, okay, so uh, will Michael Mann, uh, JJ writes, will Michael Mann and Lord Grade get their chance in the Carrie Katz pussy hat as this case proceeds? Unsure if it's protocol for all those embroiled in Steinian litigation. <laughs> so this is another, um, so this is a reference to, we had this, we had this billionaire bully we were up against um, a few years ago, Carrie Katz. And uh, this, this very clever uh, blogger, evil blogger lady, 
decided to uh, Photoshop a a pussy hat on his on his head, um, and uh, and uh, this was a reference to some discovery in which they were calling Mark a um, P U S S Y. Uh, but in this particular case, no, I don't think it's Michael Mann and Lord Grade that would have the pussy hat. I think it's actually, um, you know, National Review and uh, GB News that would have the pussy hats because they're 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 the uh, they're the um, pussies in this scenario. John Cameron has a few uh, comments in a row here, so I'll just read them through. The man hockey stick was scientific fact beyond doubt by any until it wasn't. Uh, John says, I'd just like to say a grateful thank you to you, Melissa, and Andrew, and Laura, and everyone else behind the scenes of Mark Stein Online. You are all doing fantastic work. Keep it up. Thanks, John. Okay, so let's see. Jamie writes, Welcome to the hot seat, Melissa. Am I recalling correctly that you had some sort of rude nickname given by the CRTV folks back in the day? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I suppose I, I did say I would share some funny stories. One of the interesting things when you so CRTV and billionaire bully are synonymous in this in this uh, case. Um, one of the funny things when you get into these cases is you learn about discovery and you wind up then reading all of these emails um, about yourself and what people actually think of you uh, behind the scenes. And, and there was this very, uh, and it's riveting. It's, it's actually riveting reading. I, 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 I spent a lot of time uh, going through and, and getting all these things in order. And one of the emails... Um, referenced me as, uh, well, um, as I said earlier, uh, they referred to Mark as, quote, Pussy Stein, and me as Mama B, nutcase. So uh, those, uh, those are both uh, <laughs> names uh, we've embraced uh, and uh, as a badge of honor. Uh, so yes, that that's me. I'm I'm Mama B. A nutcase. Um, Tim Boggs, aka Midwestern Tim, writes: What is the chance Man pays up when Stein wins? Is there no way to hold Man accountable even after repeated losses in court? Um, the short answer is no. Uh, uh, we don't have a pending counterclaim against man. Um, so the only thing I think, um, if we are to be successful, I think the only thing man would be accountable for uh, would be certain court costs. Um, so as I understand it, it would be, you know, um, the share of, of uh, the costs of the transcripts and perhaps filing fees and things of that nature, but certainly not of the legal costs, uh, which are, which have been, you know, almost $2 million, um, to date. Uh, he would, he, he would not under the American system, uh, those things are not easily recoverable. 
Um, they can be in arbitration in certain circumstances. And we were successful, actually, in our arbitration with CRTV and the billionaire bully uh, in getting uh, some of our legal fees. Uh, but it's, it's very unusual in America to get that. My apologies. Just taking a little sip there. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Next. Wayne Cunnington, my dear friend, uh, Vax victim, um, and who I enjoyed very much uh, visiting with uh, during my last visit there. Don't the various legal systems work in strange and mysterious ways around the world? I seriously hope you all have better luck fighting this latest round of man's cases, man's case, and without the need for removing or delaying awarded costs back to you guys as with previous bouts, as you've clearly won without blood even being spilled. Hopefully Mark will be back on our screen soon once the legal wrangles in D.C. and the high court here have been, have been ironed out. Yes. Yes, that's, that's my hope, hope too. I mean, as you know, Mark has not been uh, doing too great. He's, uh, you know, he's still recovering. And, um, and uh, you know, so we're just trying to keep him, uh, keep as little on his plate as possible. He's been doing a lot of writing, as you know, Stein Online. He's also been doing a lot of writing legal briefs and legal filings and getting ready for trial. And so with all of that going on, we're some things have been put on the back burner for a bit, but uh, as Wayne says, we do hope that we'll all be back to normal business um, after this after this period of time. Okay, let's see. Let's see what the uh, mention. Okay, the notorious Mister J. Mention of man inspires me to give commentary and pose questions, but beware, this is a helping of black pills. Don't you think that we're ruled by zealots and idiots? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, the green cult that has the seats of power in its thrall is pushing for the fantasy of net zero in a decade or two without any rational plan to do so. Replace the internal combustion engine with what? If it's to be electric vehicles, the grid isn't remotely adequate to handle the recharge. And even if one can mis miraculously and quick time build it up, what do you power it with? Feeble wind and solar power? And there is that issue of possibly not having enough mineable lithium in the world for all the batteries needed for both the cars and the green as green power installations. Folks just aren't thinking things through. Now I must come to the long-term black pill. Sure, it's possible that the climate sensitivity to CO2 has been exaggerated in environmentalist circles and that all we're going to get is what has jokingly been referred to as a lukewarming. All is righty-right? Well, maybe no. The elephant in the room fact is that civilization is deeply and even dangerously dependent on finite fossil fuels with no other reasonable alternative in sight. Nuclear power works to a point but still seems kind of clunky and expensive. Okay. Walt Trimmer writes, Have you considered using your 11-year legal ordeal and the UN's climate hockey stick graph as prima facie, Latin term to make me seem smarter than I am, evidence for your case? In 2023, we have been in the hyperbolic phase of the temperature rise for 25 years, and the world is supposed to be... 
uh, 6C, 11F warmer than it was in 1940. Other witnesses to consider. In 2009, Al Gore predicted the North Pole would be ice-free by 2013. Also in 2009, then Prince Charles said we only had 96 months to live. In 2018, St. Greta said we would all be dead by 2023. To be fair, the year is not over. Uh, very good points there, Walt. Uh, let's see. Barbara Yunker writes, Hi, Melissa. Has Mark ever received a dime from winning these heroic lawsuits? I recall that he prevailed against a billionaire, but the awarded damages were in name only. What is the legal remedy for obtaining actual money if the opponent refuses to pay? Thank you for all you do. Um, thanks, Barbara. Uh, well, in that particular case, uh, no, he did. He had to pay up. He had, it, I mean, he put it off for a long, long, long time. And he kept instituting, uh, you know, so there was a judgment in our favor of, uh, I think it was $4 million uh, in the first arbitration. This is, again, going back to the billionaire bully and CRTV. And, uh, and then he fought that. And then he started filing cases in other jurisdictions to use as leverage to try to force us uh, to settle for a lesser amount and to sign an NDA, um, at which, of course, Mark will never, ever, ever do. Uh, because he won't be silenced. It doesn't matter. You, you, could, you could offer him any amount of money that you want. He's not going to sign an NDA. Um, so we did win, but, at the, but, but it was after several cases uh, in several forums, and, and most of that uh, was then just swallowed up in uh, legal fees, as is, as is, as is the case uh, in America, I mean the 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 price the the cost of uh, the cost of all this these legal machinations is is just extraordinary, just extraordinary. Uh, so speaking of being in several different jurisdictions, Carla writes, "Good morning, Melissa. I'm just curious how you have the bandwidth to deal with two cases in two jurisdictions when even one would just tax me to no end." <laughs> Well, actually, two is better than four, uh, which is how it was with the, with the uh, billionaire bully. Um, we were we were actually in in court, uh, coast to coast, uh, several different jurisdictions at the same time. And again, that was designed to break us, um, but we didn't break. So two, two jurisdictions, uh, easy peasy. I think we can handle it. Um, I'm just going to see. I'm ho I'm hoping that this will work. Uh, and uh, so let me just take a quick break here um, to uh, play one of my favorite songs from Mark's album Feline Groovy. Uh, it's called Cat Scratch Fever. It's a take on Ted Nugent's um, uh, famous uh, famous song. And uh, so I'm just going to play that for you now. We'll take a little break. And then on the other side of this, we'll just talk about Ofcom a little bit.
where they come from, but they sure do come. I hope they're coming for me. And I don't know how they do it, but they do it good. And they do it for free. They give me cat scratch fever. Cat scratch fever. Cat scratch fever. Ow! Cat scratch fever. First time that I got it, I was ten years old. I got it from the kitty next door. I went to see the doctor, I said, Give me the cure. And now I got it some more. They give me cat scratch fever. Cat scratch fever. Cat scratch fever. Ooh, cat scratch fever. It's nothing dangerous, I feel no pain I've got to ch-ch-ch-ch-change You know you got it, you're going insane It starts a grown man crying Crying, crying Baby, won't you make my bed? They're getting it from me And they know just where to go When they need their loving man And I do it for free I give them cat scratch fever Cat scratch fever Cat scratch fever I think I got it some more I think I got it some more I know I got it real bad Precious is as adorable does the great czar of common sense Mark Stein nails the soul, soulfulness of my classic song God I love this Shh. worth listening to all the way killer band killer killer arrangement killer attitude uh, that's uh, Ted Nugent uh, weighing in on Mark's take on his classic song, Cat Scratch Weaver. Of course, we all know Ted as a great American and uh, very, very kind, very generous. Uh, we happen to have the same publisher. And so when, uh, when uh, Mark recorded that song, um, mutual uh, friend of ours sent it along to Ted and we were just delighted that that Ted was not unpleased and was actually thrilled with uh, with Mark's take because that's it could have gone the other way on that. Um, okay, so let's go on here. Alyssa Angel writes, "If Mark wins the first Ofcom case, does the second case become moot, or will Mark be forced to prove twice that Ofcom has overstepped its authority?" 
So uh, we have two cases pending before Ofcom. Uh, one in connection with our uh, April uh, April twenty first show, and then the second one uh, related to an interview with Naomi Wolf, which occurred uh, later in the year in October, and uh, those were decided separately. I think about maybe a month and a half uh, between them. And so uh, there is a very, sh- in unlike America, uh, in, in, in this particular uh, venue in the UK, there's a very short window of time in which you need to file an appeal of a regulatory ruling. So Ofcom uh, dinged Mark, well, actually dinged GB News, um, said, you know, don't do that. No, you know, somehow GB News was able to negotiate no fine, interestingly, um, and um, basically, you know, forced forced Mark to leave after after uh, offering him a contract that, that no reasonable person would sign. And a contract that was actually offered uh, in very bad faith, in that it was asking him to uh, take on any Ofcom fines, uh, but without revealing to Mark that Ofcom had already made preliminary rulings against Mark. So that he actually would have been asked to sign a contract uh, with, with their deliberate uh, withholding of all the information uh, about, the, about, the, about the Ofcom case at the time. Anyway, that's an aside. So there's two there's two pending Ofcom cases, but we asked in the second filing when we filed um, the one for the Naomi Wolf that that they both be read by the same judge, and that if they are accepted, that they would then be tried together. Um, and so to Alyssa's question. Um, I don't think one would make the other moot. I think that the hope is that they'll actually be just tried together. Um, and then, and then uh, as some of the arguments are exactly the same, um, uh, I think that that would lend itself to, you know, both of them uh, being tossed or both of them being upheld. <clears throat> Paul writes, Stereotypical American here, so forgive me if I'm misrepresenting the world outside the U.S. of A., but my understanding is that the U.K. doesn't have a constitution, let alone one that enshrines freedom of speech in the way ours does. With that said, what's the basis of the Ofcom suit? Is it on free speech grounds or something else? And if the former, are you optimistic it will succeed? Um true uh well the uk uh um you know doesn't have the uh first amendment for sure um but the so the free speech uh the pure free speech argument is actually tied to uh rights enshrined in the european uh, that would be then appealed to the European Court of Human Rights. That that aspect of it. There are then three other grounds on which 
uh, we are appealing. So some of them are more, you know, that big picture first principles. And then some of them are more process and logistical related. And that's and that's the nature of how you would do this is that you would find everything that you think is wrong with how they ruled on the case and hope that, you know, one of one or two of those things will will help get the thing uh, overturned. <clears throat> um, let's see. Bill Decker writes, Dear Melissa, thank you for being today's guest host. It's nice to have the world's sinister, shadowy characters behind the scenes being pointed out by the Mark Stein Club's own sinister, shadowy character behind the scenes. I'm very appreciative of what Mark, yourself, and others are doing through the legal system to preserve and restore free speech. Mark often suggests like-minded club members become involved locally on school boards and such in order to help influence the direction of our schools locally. Is there an equivalent way to become involved locally in the legal system and influence that institution? Uh, wow, I really like that question, Bill, because I think... Um, I think one of the one of the big problems is that no one is paying attention to what's happening in the courtroom. And also a lot of this nonsense isn't even happening in the courtroom. It's happening in these, you know, sort of behind the scenes, um, you know, in chamber discussions or I, I noticed this really took a sharp increase during the uh, COVID area, era uh, with all of these, you know, Zoom calls with judges um, that that people were not were not privy to. Um, and so uh, let me just pull up here if I can see. Um, yeah, one of the one of uh one of the comments that I actually use as an email tagline uh, from Viscount Hurwert, I think applies here. Justice should not only be done, but should manifestly and undoubtedly be seen to be done. And no one sees what's going on in court now. I mean, you have these high profile cases like you know, the Johnny Depp case or things like that. So people sort of have this impression of what's happening in, in, in court from these these sort of bizarre celebrity cases that, that uh, sometimes get televised. But for instance, in, in our upcoming case with Michael Mann, there are no cameras allowed in the courtroom. So the only way you're going to know what's actually happening in that courtroom is that is if you're physically there and physically sitting in the seats. And I'm always surprised, given how high profile this case is, um, that that the that the courtroom isn't isn't filled in some of these hearings. And maybe people think the hearing the um, sort of pretrial hearings are too boring or not interesting. But I think that's you know, it's time to go to court and just sit in the courtroom and watch the proceedings and watch the judge and see how justice is, is, is dispensed. Um, it's, it's shocking to me how much is done behind the scenes. And I, and I do wholeheartedly agree that this, this stuff has to be tried and open so people can see 
see what is happening and keep these judges on on the up and up. I mean, I was in this uh, I was in this case where I was uh, actually um, a victim of a uh, serial criminal uh, who was also, you know, a druggie. And uh, he was he had this long history of, you know, being caught, being arrested, and then he would offer to, you know, rat on his drug dealer or, you know, plead guilty and say, oh, he's just going a rough time in his life because of this drug problem he has. And so it was always slap on the wrist, slap on the wrist, slap on the wrist, slap on the wrist. And I said, you know, this is ridiculous. I it was actually shocking to me that this guy was continually let on the street. And uh, there was one time in court where he was to appear. Uh, I was there as the victim. Uh, No one else is in the courtroom. Uh, Bailiff is sort of standing by the door. The judge is in his chambers and he's on the phone uh, with this, uh, with this creep, uh, and the lawyers are all in there and, and the public, the victim is completely out of the picture. So there's no one actually, uh, has their eyes on this situation. And I was, I was furious because this guy has gamed the system for years and years and years and years and years. In fact, he gamed the system so well, he actually, (laughs) He wound up, uh, because they never did anything about him, he wound up actually killing a guy, uh, you know, a couple years after this incident. Um, but, but I said to the bailiff, I said, get, get that judge out here. Uh, I want to I know what's going on. He can't be talking to this guy without, without uh, me being present. And and to his credit, the judge did come out and did apologize. But you just you have to keep these guys honest because they all like to do the deals and they don't like to have their have the eyes of the public on them. Um, So I would suggest that's the thing to do. Just go go to your local district court. It's actually fascinating uh, just to go in and sit and watch uh, and see. Uh, you know, what happens um, when they call these cases up. Josh Passell writes, Hi, Melissa. Thanks for stepping in. Did Carrie Katz ever cut the one million check and didn't he call you a bad name? Tell all. Uh, well, I think I, we talked about this a little bit earlier, Josh, but yes. Uh, it, well, it wasn't actually Carrie Katz that called me the bad name. It was someone else at CRTV. Um but uh, but I think he was okay with the with the bad name being called. Um, Davy David Kelly Wood um, writes. Perhaps the program's technical difficulties can be attributed to climate change. Could be the basis for a chapter in a best-selling book. The hockey stick angle has already been used, so maybe the racquetball racket. That's pretty good. Um, Dale Owens writes. Dear Melissa, nice that you are fronting the show. The power behind the throne finally reveals herself. USA, USA. 
Um, Dale, a Welshman living near Milan, Italy, not very far from where Mark is holed up. Yes, thanks. Thanks so much, Dale. And what a lovely part of the world. I mean, Trieste, uh, which is where we, where we, um, uh, where we departed from on the, I, I hadn't even heard of Trieste before because, you know, I'm, I'm your usual parochial American who doesn't really think a world exists outside of America. But um, originally, um, Venice uh, would have been the start point of the cruise, but they decided to sort of ban all these big cruise ships. They didn't like what was happening with the cruise ships. I don't know, they were complaining about all the people or erosion or something. And so um, all those usual Venice departures have now uh, been coming out of Trieste, which is just this this lovely and very interesting town. Um and uh, and uh, was was just a great great place to um, great place to be and and I recommend going there wholeheartedly. Um, speaking of cruise, Ken B says there was a comment recently about the next cruise being a Caribbean cruise this winter, but I haven't seen anything else about that. Can you give us more info? Yes. So the next cruise is scheduled for February 24th to March 2nd. Uh, it's seven days. It's in the Caribbean. Um, this is a great time of year to get out of uh, the northern United States and Canada. Uh, that tends to be a pretty miserable time of year. <clears throat> uh, the confirmed guests uh, so far... Uh, include uh, Bo Snurley, James Golden, as you know, uh, from uh, the Rush Limbaugh show and now with his own show uh, on uh, WABC in New York, uh, Conrad Black, uh, Michelle Bachman, Leilani, Leilani Doubting, and, uh, of course, our pal Andrew Lawton, who's uh, currently holding... Uh, folks to account up in Quebec City at the moment. Uh, the uh, ship will depart from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and will be visiting Half Moon Key, Bahamas, Oco Rios, Jamaica, Georgetown, Grand Cayman, and Cozumel, Mexico. So I do hope that you'll consider uh, coming on that. Uh, it's MarkSteinCruise.com. Uh, Wayne Cunnington writes, uh, is there an update on the Ofcom battles at the high court? Melissa, it's lovely to hear your voice again. I know you guys have more than enough with what's happening in DC though. Uh, no, no update yet. Uh, we, uh, got in our, uh, filings, uh, right before the, um, recess, August recess. And, uh, so now we're just waiting for um, the judge to read those cases. We put in our case, Ofcom put in their response. They read those and then they decide whether they'll take up the case to the next level. Again, as I said, we're hoping that those two will be combined and heard by the same judge. Um, it makes sense because it's a lot of the same terrain and it will also um, save us uh, quite a bit of money Um uh, in legal fees if, if, if those things can be combined as well. So we're just waiting to hear. Um, 
maybe maybe we'll hear next month i think that's what they're thinking that maybe we'll hear whether they'll take it up and when they would take it up and then i think there's some filings that go back and forth before you actually have uh, sort of a full-blown hearing there's there's like three different stages to this <clears throat> so we'll we'll definitely keep you updated on that obviously i'm hoping that it all doesn't occur at the exact same time uh, you know, while we're doing this three-week trial in uh, D.C. Okay. Um, da -da -da -da. John Fatchy writes, Good afternoon, Melissa. Arson allegations seem to mention in passing, then waft away with time in wildfire cases from the Canadian fires that polluted New York State and other regions of the U.S. to the fires in Australia 2019 to 2020, and others deemed examples or symptoms of global warming. These fires become politically convenient for the climate change lobby. Now we have the Maui tragedy and few answers from authorities, but the same climate change insinuations. I believe the climate change threat is from climate change proponents. Well, that's it's it's interesting. I mean, it is you know, there's a lot of uh, people being being charged with arson um, and uh, in these cases, and I'm not quite sure um, how that how that is uh, how that is reconciled. Um, okay, we're getting pretty close to time here. So I'm just going to take a quick glance through see if there's anything else we need to pick up on any of these off calm. Um, or uh, man-related. Uh, John Cameron writes, the process is the punishment, even for the judge. Oh, that's so true. Um, George Pereira writes, Melissa, what continues to drive me to distraction is the complete lack of anything normal to common sense. Tree rings are an indication of water, always was, always will be, yet keep bringing that up, and many want to desperately change the subject. I bring up the printed information on a box of masks, not for medical use, and I get the wide-eyed, terrified look. Uh, when I bring up the fact that no one who has refused to get the jab has ever regretted it results in a firestorm of hate. How do you live in such a stupid and hate-filled world without being stupid and hate-filled yourself? Stay safe. Stay free. Ofcom delendum est. Yes, indeed, I agree. Ofcom does need to be destroyed. Um, I've, I've, I've never, um, never experienced anything like that. You know, it's, it's, it's shocking to me how different the, um, atmosphere there is as compared to the U S in terms of free speech. Yes. In America, you can be shut down, um, really told to stay quiet, um, when, when someone sues you, but you don't have this, you know, state, um, regulatory um, institution working in the way that uh, that Ofcom does. It's 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 shocking and um, astounding, and I'm and I'm <laughs> uh, I'm I'm just uh, hopeful that we will be able to get our day in court and be able to sort of wind back some of those those powers that Ofcom has really illegally um, taken taken for itself. 
Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your patience with all of our technical difficulties. Uh, it's my first time doing it, and I sort of had my microphone plugged into the wrong thing for some reason. I'm not sure quite how that happened, but uh, I appreciate your patience uh, while we worked through all that technical stuff. And, uh, you know, do actually, you know, if you have questions about the case, if you want some more specific um, questions answered, feel free to pop them into the comments and I'll, I'll uh, weigh in with you. And I think too, I'm going to be, uh, as we get closer to trial, I'll be working on trying to, trying to post those in a, in a special place on the website where people who want to sort of take a deep dive uh, into these documents can easily access them uh, and uh, find out where we're at in the case. Obviously, uh, you know, we so appreciate I mean, first of all, just the words of support are keep us going uh, here at Stein Online. And uh, I know that people have been helping where they can and where they feel comfortable in terms of gift certificates or uh, buying a book or um, any of those things, uh, buying a, a ticket on the cruise. Uh, it all helps uh, keep us in the game. As you know, it's just... It's an expensive venture, and uh, and obviously uh, three weeks in D.C. is going to be um, an expensive venture. So we appreciate everyone who has been supportive and helping, and uh, I've really enjoyed uh, being with you here today. So uh, just to close out the show, uh, I'm going to uh, steal from a um, outro that uh, Mark did um some time ago. Uh, but I really, uh, I'm just, I have to say my guilty pleasure is this Yacht Rock radio, which which basically has like 10 songs. It's the same 10 songs they play over and over again. But I, did, I find it very relaxing for some strange reason. Anyway, one of these songs is, is one of the 10 songs that's on the rotation on Yacht Rock radio. And Mark did a lovely um, outro with it uh, a while ago. And given that we're at the, the last bits of summer, I thought it would be a fun way to close it out. And also so that we can hear Mark's voice, because we all miss hearing Mark's voice in here. And uh, obviously, we're very much looking forward to hearing his voice here next week. Uh, and in the meantime, I hope that you do check out the article that he posted earlier today, uh, which is uh, getting a lot of play out there. It's very, uh, very interesting. And it's about, uh, it's more about the judicial system in the U.S. to do with Trump and, of course, Navarro, who's convicted yesterday. And so I do hope you'll take a look at that. It's got a uh, little picture of Rudy Giuliani uh, on the front of that. So do take the time to read that. It's, it's some wonderful writing, and, and, uh, and um, it's, it's, it's great to get that, that side from, from Mark now, too. So uh, thank you again, and uh, I'll leave you now with Summer Breeze. Stay safe, stay free. Hanging in the window In the evening on a Friday night Little light is shining through the window 
song written by Seals and Crofts. Rest in peace, Jim Seals. I hope wherever you are right now, the summer breeze is blowing through the jasmine in your soul. Uh, summer breeze makes me feel whole, blowing through the jasmine in my soul. We shall have Rick McGuinness with his Saturday movie date. Uh, we've got the 100 Years Ago show. We've got more weekend attractions right here at Stein Online. Stay safe, stay free, stay breezy. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media.
All rights reserved.